It's a bear. 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 It's a bear in a cage. In a cage is a bear. What's he doing in there? Locked inside, no room to play. On this lovely summer day, it's a bear. 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 It's a bear in a cage. Do they have him locked inside? It's a bear, 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 it's a bear in a cage. The official Mixomar Bear in a Cage. Now available on shop.824films.com. Not compatible with other games, including Skin the Fool from A24. So we're just going to ignore the bear then? It's a bear. Welcome to Two Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi. I'm David Plink. And I'm Troy Harkin. And you definitely heard a little clip of Bear in the Cage because we're going to be talking midsummer, right, David? Yep. <laughs> this is our folk horror installment part two, midsummer episode. Recording wow. it on Thursday, May 5th, 2022, is scheduled for broadcast on Saturday, May 28th. Um, we do have a special guest for this episode. Sandra Casturi is joining us. She was our special guest for part one that looked at the 1973 movie, The Wicker Man. And she was also our, our um, guest for the Ray Bradbury episode about something wicked this way comes from season one. Before that, Troy will give us a spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert! Spoiler! Thanks, Troy. Thanks, Troy. We are recording this session via Zoom. As we mentioned in our Folk Horror Part 1 episode, Troy and I have known Sandra for many years. We will not be repeating her bio here. Uh, please find it online at our website and in our Folk Horror Part 1 episode. Um, welcome, Sandra. Hello. It's nice to be talking about uh, this one of my favorite movies. Um, Too Old Farts Talk Sci-Fi is a look back to when we fell in love with the speculative genre to recall these times with fondness and affection. I think a review by Lepidopterus on IMDb posted 9th of July 2019 titled An Operatic Catharsis on Emotional Dependency may have said it best when it said, Aster taps into a dark and vulnerable place. He opens a door to chess you may have locked away and have had no intention of coming back to. If you've gone through a breakup recently, it may resonate even stronger. It's uncomfortable, unpleasant, but ultimately cathartic. On to Midsummer. Troy Harkin will give some background, set it in context before we get into a full discussion on it. Take it away, Troy. Well, I just want to reiterate some of the things that we said about folk horror in the 
in our previous episode. And uh, basically, uh, we were saying a fork, fork, fork horror. God, fork horror is so scary with all the stabby and the little, little, little pitchforky thing that you hold. I mean, it's not a spoon. It's fucking, it's fork horror. No, it's actually folk horror. Sorry. A folk horror explores fears of folk old folks <laughs> sorry i will take david enjoy your drink because i'm gonna have to take this again <laughs> maybe we should just keep it all right no okay. i think you should keep, keep I, it all it's, it's i amazing. would keep it all because so this okay. is comedy gold okay <laughs> this is this is horror this is our okay. horror. Yes, true, uh, horror. Uh, true uh, horror okay <laughs> sorry okay <laughs> uh you know, folk horror has some definite trademark elements. It does. We can see the juxtaposition of the prosaic and the uncanny. You know, you get your uh, power of ritual. You get pagan conspiracies. You get rural locations. And often the stories are set outside of modernity, meaning, you know, way back timeies. Midsummer was written and directed by Ari Aster. It was released in 2019 and was the follow-up to his highly acclaimed debut feature film, Hereditary. Aster, who was hugely influenced by Swedish film legend Ingmar Bergman, was approached by Swedish producers to create a slasher film involving Swedish folk traditions. The director had recently dealt with the trauma of a breakup and found he could work through his pain by dealing with it in his screenplay for Midsommar. The film began filming immediately following the release of Hereditary. Shot in Hungary, outside of Budapest, not Sweden. Uh, the Horgan village was constructed from scratch for the film. The film stars Florence Pugh as Danny Arder, Jack Rayner as her boyfriend Christian. Midsummer opens on a dark winter night in the northern United States where Danny is beside herself as she attempts to contact her parents and her bipolar sister, who has been sending Danny ominous emails. Danny reaches out to her boyfriend, Christian, who downplays the incident. Soon, Danny learns that her sister has killed herself as well as her parents by filling their home with carbon monoxide. Much later, a grieving Danny finds that Christian and his three friends, Jack, played by Will Poulter, Josh, and Pele, all of them anthropology students, are planning on visiting the Swedish community, the Harga, that Pele belongs to. Christian has been keeping the trip a secret from Danny. Christian reluctantly invites her to come along, believing she will not want to go, but she does. The five Americans make the trip to the rustic village and are welcomed into the community by the Hardens. We soon discover that the community is not as idyllic as it seemed. After witnessing the ritualistic senicide from atop the Atastupa cliff, some of the party are extremely distraught, including Danny, who is still trying to deal with the loss of her parents and sister. The visitors are kept drugged and manipulated by their hosts for their own needs. Ari Aster has said, for the American men in the film, Midsummer is very much a folk horror tale, but for Danny, it is more a wish-fulfillment fairy tale. Few films demand repeat viewings in the way that Midsommar does. The artwork through the film gives us hints as to where we are headed. In fact, the entire plot of the film is illustrated for us in a single folk mosaic in the opening shot of the film. Fewer horror films take place almost exclusively in the daylight. The film was released theatrically on 
July 3rd, 2019, with a running time of 148 minutes. A 171-minute director's cut was released into theaters less than two months after this initial release. Midsommar was made for $9 million and has grossed $48 million. Time Out's Joshua Rothkop wrote, A savage yet evolved slice of Swedish folk horror. Ari Oster's hallucinatory follow-up to Hereditary proves him a horror director with no peer. According to uh, Rotten Tomatoes, they say ambitious, impressively crafted, and above all, unsettling. Midsommar further proves writer-director Ari Oster is a horror auteur to be reckoned with. And I was saying just a moment ago that Ari Oster somewhat jokingly has referred to the film as The Wizard of Oz for perverts. Um, And you can figure that one out once you've seen it. That's it, David. Um, thanks a lot, um, Troy, for that uh, explanation. And uh, sometimes we ask about, you know, how did you first see the film and what did what was your first reactions and, and if you have any story behind your first viewing. And Sandra, just wondering if you have any story you want to share. Yeah, I'll tell you about how it first. I, I, I should point out that I'm wearing my uh, midsummer headdress right now with antlers and flowers uh, as a tribute to this film. Um, anyway, uh, I saw the film in the theater. Uh, we had uh, seen Hereditary, which I absolutely loved. Um, and so when we heard that uh, uh, Ari Astro was doing a new film, definitely wanted to see it. And I'd, I'd seen, I think I saw a trailer of it and it looked like visually, it looked completely unlike Hereditary, which is quite a dark palette. Uh, and this was so bright. Um, and then, of course, what I found hilarious is that because half my heritage is Estonian and, you know, we like things like dancing around the maypole and bonfires and wearing tops with a lot of uh, handmade embroidery on them and this sort of thing. And uh, uh, maybe slightly less murdery. Um, so it's quite fascinating because there's there's some cultural similarities, similarities there that I was quite drawn to and then saw it in the theater. And I think, you know, that first moment of shock, well, you know, spoiler alert, presumably people have seen this by now, um, when the old couple uh, jump off the cliff like that, because you you know something's coming. I mean, Ari Aster has talked about the fact that he doesn't think that there are any actual surprises in the film, that you pretty much know where it's going. It's a surprise to the people who are experiencing it, but not to the audience. But still, there are shocking moments in that movie. And I think from that absolutely shocking moment because that that tension that dread is building up because i mean he sets the stage of course right at the beginning with uh danny's sister's suicide and uh and murder of, her, of the parents um that you know that this is not a real happy film um and then he also has the painting at the start which tells you exactly how it's going to go yeah. uh which is such a handy little benchmark so it completely blew my mind i had to watch it several times um and then uh was speaking to uh my good friend Hallie Viegas, who then said it was the funniest movie she'd seen in years. And I thought, really? This is a comedy? This is a funny film? And you know, in many ways it is. So you can agree or dispute it. Maybe it's like all great films are. They are. They were many faces for everybody. Yeah, there are definitely moments <laughs> where, uh, you, know, you know, laughable moments, let's call them. Yeah. Um, and uh yeah we'll probably touch on some of those yeah like like you sandra um 
I went to Hereditary um, almost um, almost not wanting to like it because I don't know if you recall this, but the hype at the time that that eight. Uh, 24 put out there yeah. was that it was this generation's the exorcist that was the, right. the line and in fact that's what's on the dvd case as well that quote um and you know that's a little bit like the line oh this is the new beatles you know um, i don't i don't like it when people tell me how i'm supposed to feel about a thing so yeah. I, I did find that off-putting too and was and was just kind of like, oh, it's going to suck. Right. And then, of course, loved it. Yeah, same here. Like, you know, went in, I mean, and I mean, I don't, I don't see comparisons in many ways to The Exorcist. Oh, but, no, not at all. But, not at all. Um, what I did love, well, I mean, everything about the film, but the audience's reaction. Now we're talking about Hereditary here, first of all. And it was great because there were so many, you like young, uh, like, you know, teenage girls who you could tell they wanted a typical horror film. And they were like saying, like, you could hear them turning to each other and saying, what the fuck is happening? And <laughs> and that's what I love about Ari Aster. It's very m- much often like seeing a Lynch film. Uh, yeah, and, I- it, and it does create that. And I love that. And like you say, it, it not only um, rewards repeated viewing, but almost demands it. Yeah. Um, which is nice. You know, I don't think that's a problem. I don't want my films to feel like the cinematic version of fast food <laughs> and, and, and Ari Oster does not give us that. Um, so anyway, saw, saw hereditary and I was like, Oh Jesus, give me more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I must say I did love Tony Collette's performance. Like I still wish Tony Collette had been nominated for an Oscar. I think it's, it's a oh, shame she's, that, she's that so she wasn't. Great. Well, that, yeah. that film um, and and uh, Midsummer, what what they both do, what what Ari Aster does really really well is the language of discomfort. Um, mm. Just like that, every moment in both of those films mm. is full of m- discomfort, and it makes the mm. audience uncomfortable because mm. you feel like you're participating in their drama and you don't want to be. And it's it's like you you were accidentally sucked into their living room or into the little village and you're just like, I am not part of this. I don't want to participate in well, I mean the the emotional stuff in it. Like that's that, right. The 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 female male female relationships or the family dynamic or whatever in both of those films that everything is so uncomfortable all the time. And yes. I think he does that so well. You know, mm. something that was pointed out to me uh in terms of uh Midsummer is um, Danny never being allowed to properly grieve and never being allowed to basically have a catharsis until the end of the film. And, and it's true because every time we see her crying, either the, there's a cut and they like through the filmmaking, like don't allow her to have that moment. Or we see her uh, with Christian, her boyfriend, and he's like, catatonic basically while she's you know crying her eyes well, she's out. in the she's in the like in the bathroom uh, like in the on the plane with a hand over her own mouth right um, right and so she's stifling herself too yes and it's and, not until the very end of the film where she's allowed catharsis and allowed she, to express the relief what the i found grief. fascinating is how aster plays with the audience with with respect to who you're supposed to feel sympathy or empathy for because mm. again like uh christian is kind of a dick but danny is so <laughs> passive aggressive 
um, uh-huh. and irritating. And she's like, no, no, you should it's my fault. go to Sweden. It's no, it's my fault. Yeah, it's totally. Yeah, you should go. No, you should absolutely go. Like, yeah, no, no, you go to the party. It's fine. Or, you know, maybe I'll come. Maybe I'll come too. And it's like, oh, it's maddening. And so you absolutely understand his irritation with her mm. and his desire to get away and just have some time just on his own, not even to necessarily go off and fuck some Swedish girls, but just like some peace and quiet. But of course, her parents and sister just died. He can't break up with her now. And again, it's the right, trap, right. The trap of that kind of like, how long is a decent interval to wait before you ditch the person whose family just died horribly? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> I mean, there's and, no good answer. And clearly, like we've all seen people like this or been in those relationships where I've done time in a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like it really rings true. And it's nice that it's not like super combative and uh, you know, over the top in terms of the dysfunction of that relationship. Mm. Um, And you see people who sometimes go through entire life living that dysfunction. Um, It's interesting that Will Bolter, whom I uh, is right now starring in uh, Hugh Laurie's version of Agatha Christie's Why Didn't They Ask Evans, which is is an absolutely delightful version. Um, He, is of course uh what's his character's name is he is he josh or i forgot uh, their names uh i um, have it for you it anyway is... he of course later is given the jester's hat and the fool and mark. he is of course mark. mark of course he is the fool because he even before he's you know decapitated <laughs> and given the jester's hat because he's the one telling the truth he's the one telling the truth to Christian going, when are you going to dump her? This is terrible. This isn't working out. <laughs> yeah. gonna, you know, and he's telling the truth about Well, he has no filter. Things. That's right. No, no filter at no all. No filter. He's just telling it like it is. And of course, uh, is well rewarded for that at the end. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Like, you know, you know, he's just concerned about, will there be babes there? Yeah, babes. Um, oh, I'm going to piss on the same yeah. tree. Oh, was I uh, not supposed to do that? Sorry, man. I'm high. Uh, everybody do what I'm doing. You have to, yeah. And, yeah, oh, a new person. I don't want a new person here. Yeah. That's right. So uh, you were recently introduced to the film, right, David? Yeah. Um, just for the uh, podcast that and the full core, I just had not seen it and wasn't even aware of it. Um, so, yeah, this is quite the introduction, the uh, Wicker Man and Midsummer, which might also be maybe not the best uh, first date uh, film. Huh. Um but um, there is something about the film, like the, the, the whole early part with the parents and the sister, just how it's shot right up to the garage door opening. The relationships between um, Danny and um, the rest of the group, even like, like she's got the boyfriend and his reaction, how they're relating to each other and what she's going through. And you've got the other buddies who are, and just the actual acting, what they're saying, how they're reacting to each other. And the whole scene scenes seem so real because this is Ari Aster who is going through a breakup mm-hmm putting all of this angst and all of this uncomfortable feeling, but real and true. So you feel like you are, you've seen this before and you believe every moment. Um, This reminds me of a a bit about the wicker man, where there's a certain point where 
you have to trust yourself and what you believe in your instincts. The, the, the point that I made in the earlier full core episode about Sergeant Howie going out to the boat and uh, the seaplane and realizing that it's not starting and therefore he should realize that there's that, that, that he's in danger. One of the tropes in horror is if you're you get up in the morning and and you see that one of your one of your party is not there and you start asking around they say oh well he they had some emergency or quick thing that they had to go to and they had to go to the station and but they and they just didn't feel that they wanted to get you up to let you know that they needed to go and whatever extent extensive reasoning and whatever it is the first thing you should realize is that they're full of shit and <laughs> yeah, that your friend is dead. Exactly. exactly. Those are the nobody, two things. Nobody ever wants to believe that. I mean, and again, Wicker Man and Midsummer are both about the surety of belief um, in different ways. You know, Howie has his religion and the belief in his own authority. And here, like uh, Danny has the, the belief in her relationship and in the way the world works. But you have that beautiful visual cue as they are driving uh, through Sweden and be- just before they get to where they get out of the cars the camera actually turns upside down and they're dr- and it looks like they're driving in the sky um, mm. and it's actually Ari Aster like literally telling you the world has now turned on its head so none of the old rules apply mm. and I think that's just such a like it's such a tongue-in-cheek and kind of hilarious way to do that because it's like ah see what I'm doing yeah, uh, it just yeah. Like, cracked me up all over again. And that would be the again, if we're you know using the Wizard of Oz analogy, that I guess mm-hmm. is when they're arriving in Oz, right? That, yeah, that's the, the where everything's everything changes. Toto, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. There was one other thing I wanted to jump into before I uh, let you guys take this uh, um, uh, film to its um, natural ending is there's a wonderful scene. Now, it's a bit odd because there is, of course, the important scene of the, the what I guess you call the senicide, like, like when, when the, and hopefully we're not giving away too much. We've already done the... Um, the um, Spoiler alert, yeah. The spoiler alert. But there is a scene where, where these older people do get thrown off a cliff or, or jump off a cliff willingly or, or what have you. Now... And then, and then the reaction of this, like the, the scene is just so amazing. And then, and then the reaction to it. And then, and then there was one of these older people from the community mentioning to, I guess, Pele or whoever it is that's trying to bring them and, and all this. Well, I thought you would prepare them or that they knew about this. And he said that he thought he had. Now, this is the scene where he believes that he prepared them. Josh says, you know, why they were mentioning about ages and he says, why 36? And Pelle says, well, we think of life like the seasons. Mm -hmm. So you're a child until you're 18 and that's spring. And then at some point we all do our pilgrimage, which is between 18 and 36 and that summer. Then from uh, 36 to 54, we're working age, which is fall. And then finally from 54 to 72, you become a mentor. And then Danny says, what happens at 72? So Pelly makes a comical throat slash gesture and Danny laughs. Now, this is what um, Pelle believes his explanation (laughs) that that this has prepared them, that this is actually what happened. But I told you. (laughs) I told you by doing this comical gesture of me throwing me. me, Yeah. 
and the, and the thing is josh knows like because josh is the hardcore anthropology student yeah. right so yeah. he actually knows and and christian who you get the impression all through his life will kind of be a uh, fuck off doing things half-heartedly yeah. does not know <laughs> you know and he, and he wants josh to tell him all right beauty rest tomorrow's a big day what's tomorrow first of the big ceremonies at the stupa what's that uh, it's too hard to explain you'll, you'll get a better sense tomorrow wait seriously you can't just tell me now wait you're not talking about an actual one I mean it's pretty actual fuck do you know what it is Dude. Is it scary? That is so fucking annoying. The, the other interesting thing about that scene for me, um, because, you know, when I rewatched it just the other day, now this has got, I don't know, the fourth, fifth time I've seen this, um, is that the outsiders who are watching this, um, the, the, when the woman jumps off the cliff first and then there's that awful shock and like they they are quite close up with some of that and and it's really quite gory um you have like danny so, like grabbing like christian's just standing there of course like a dim bulb he doesn't think that covered <laughs> anybody but he's in shock too let's give him benefit of the doubt yeah she slaps her hand onto his arm like in in, in shock but Watch her face. Like everybody else is like, oh, oh my God. Oh, oh, oh. And they're all upset and they're crying. But she's just like, she's holding his arm, but she's just standing there. She's riveted. And, and it's her, her expression on her face is, is a little bit opaque because you don't, and this is where Florence Pugh is such a great actress. Mm. Like you don't really know what she's thinking because you think she's shocked and horrified by what has happened. But I don't know that she is. I think that's the moment of revelation for her, that that is where things start to turn and how her power starts to come back, even though she may not realize it herself at that time. But I was fascinated by that, that everyone else is like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And she's just standing there and she's still. Um, and of course, she's upset later. That's mm-hmm. where she sort of goes back to her former self. And but there, But that moment, like, it's almost like, everything is pivoting around her in that scene, even though the really ferocious action is happening with the people coming off the cliff. Yeah, no, you're right. That's very well said. Well, the scene also like that, that's whole scene. I mean, the, the, and you're absolutely right. Sandra, that this whole cultural thing and what's going on when, when the second one goes over and they're not, and it's not entirely dead or mostly dead, you know, like I'm not dead. Oh, yeah. And bring out, bring out your dead. <laughs> and then you see the two people with the big hammers. Yes, the mallet, the mallet. That was for me the moment the film became real to me. Like the whole moment of horror that these people are going to go there to finish this off. Because sometimes when someone does drop off that clip and hits whatever it is, they don't. You know, they're still somehow yeah, they don't alive. die right away. Well, yeah. Yeah, it was a little more brutal than Logan's run uh, uh, yeah. carousel. Not not a tidy death at all. Like just the the oh, the. And the when other- the second guy doesn't 
I guess swan dive when he goes feet first. Yeah, like you know right don't, away. It's like, oh, don't self. no, don't do that. No, head first. Go head first because or or face first. Yeah, yeah face first. It's yeah. just nicer for you in the end. Note to self: if we're you know that's if that's if we're there in our seventies in uh, in Sweden, yeah. uh, look out for for this sort of thing. Yeah, the jumping off the cliff is supposed to uh, achieve one thing, and that's death. Yeah, so do it right. Yeah, and also the hammers come back later, which I had a feeling that they might. But and and yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just gonna say as a little note. Supposedly, they created there was a really, I guess, special special effect done for the head that gets hit with the the mallet, mm-hmm. where it's a fully formed skull, and then uh, when the mallet hits it. Clearly, it collapses, but it was able to uh, reconstitute itself um, so that they could do it repeatedly. But that amazes me that they could create this thing that could collapse. And then if they needed to do more takes, it would like just rebuild itself wow. and they would hit it again. Um, That's kind of yeah. amazing. Yeah, that is the scene where I, I felt like I have never seen anything like this in film. You know, it's not, it wasn't built up as like with suspense, these deaths. It was clearly brilliantly lit, uh, yet one of the most horrific things I've ever seen in a film. Yeah, that's, you know, that's the other thing. That, that's very true that um, he doesn't use any of the usual musical cues you get in horror movies to signal to you what's going to happen. You don't get that at all in this movie. So no. you just thrown into it without any preparation. And he, he said, actually, that was one of the most difficult things with the score because most of the score or a lot of it is, um, uh, I guess, diegetic, right? Diegetic, non-diegetic, diegetic. It's part of the story space. You actually like when, when you hear that music of the flutes playing as they're walking along the path to the village and then you see the musicians and most of the music uh, in it is that it's um, it's like uh, it's like Monty Python was like yeah, yeah, ran yeah. away I did not I didn't yeah um, but uh, I guess my point was he didn't want to give too many cues musically um, and he said it so it was really difficult for them composing the final scene um, which I guess we can spoil because we're going to do that but we we go from this sort of open-endedness of this horrific moment long like i mean not a moment like 17 minutes or so of a horrific moment uh and then we see uh florence Pugh's character have her catharsis Mm -hmm. and as how did he word it um you know it's her wish fulfillment fairy tale it's not her folk horror story at this point and so it was difficult transitioning from the horror of everybody being burned to her having this beautiful sort of rebirth in her Oz. Well, it's, uh, you know, the, the, the rising of the Phoenix out of the ashes in a way, literally and figuratively. But one thing I did want to mention, you, you, when you talk, you were talking about, um, uh, you guys were talking about how uh, it's, it's such a, it's such a bright movie and, um, and, and how, and because it's in the sunshine, of course, Sweden, you know, much like in, you know, like in Estonia in the summer, you have those white nights where the sun just basically just dips slightly below the horizon and it's never really dark. It reminded me of um, one of the other, because you don't really get horror movies that, that visually look like this. And the, the one that it reminded me of was um, Carter Smith's The Ruins, 
which is set in Mexico on that old temple. And that entire film, almost that entire film is in the bright sunshine. And it's absolutely horrific as well. Uh, if you haven't seen that, it's it's great. Um, and uh, the book it's based on by by Scott Smith, who, who did uh, A Simple Plan, uh, the book is also absolutely terrific. Uh, although the book, I think, is uh, much grimmer or slightly slightly more grim than the than the film is. But again, that bright sunshine, which seems so antithetical to horror, but there it is. It works perfectly. Uh, Ari Aster talked about the difficulties of shooting outdoors in the sun and how, as he was writing the script, it didn't really dawn on him until he was forced to actually shoot these scenes and realized that, oh, okay, this scene is a long scene. And so that's going to take a day's worth of shooting, yet I can't allow for the sun moving, which it does constantly. That's the nature of the planets. Um, so uh, yeah, I can't imagine how difficult that would have been to cheat those scenes and to shoot with the sun constantly moving. I mean, unless you were going to do it like faux documentary which he doesn't it's a very detailed shoot um anyway so i i feel for have, him uh, he could have shot it with the sun in different places just to add to our sense of disorientation and also to let us know <laughs> that maybe we are are in a kind of supernatural space oh. which again you're not like with wicker man there isn't there aren't really moments of the supernatural, um, right. but it's implied. And of course, you know, everybody's fucked up on drugs. Half right. the time. So, you know, is like with the way those flowers in the May Queen headdress yes. are breathing and, and we, like, which is also very much like the ruins. Um, it, it's uh, it's fascinating because I was watching because there are moments in that film. I particularly noticed that on this rewatch where I was going, is that a glitch in the film or, Oh no. Okay. That's on purpose. That's on purpose. I think that's not my TV year. Oh, it's, yeah, and it's really wild on a big screen. Like yeah. I, I fell in love with it. I, yeah, I think it, uh, it, it fucks you up visually. Yeah, and the tr when they first have that first high, where she uh, does she see the grass in her hand? I think so at that point. But the tree behind her, you oh, know, yeah, and it's, it's like just moving, moving coursing. Yeah. You know, it looks like mm -hmm. a river. Um, it was gorgeous. Uh, if it's okay, I wanted to touch on, go back uh, to some of the things we were saying about humor in the film. Um, supposedly, when he, he f did the premiere uh, for uh, Swedes, they were like, oh, we love Austin Powers. <laughs> and they love that reference to, oh, the children are watching Austin Powers. Yeah, yeah baby. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was a great little moment. That was a funny moment, you know, because yeah. it was like, what the fuck? How, did he just throw that in it's like, okay, we're just going to do that. How great was Will Poulter as Jack the Fool? Yes, he's wonderful. He's, uh, he's uh, uh, like, I just, I just like him. You know what? It's interesting. I didn't actually know that he was British um, mm. uh, until I saw him. Yeah. And why did they ask Evans? And, uh, and that's when I, I realized, oh. <laughs> well, I think three of the four leads or the students uh are not american yeah because um, Florence Pugh is british i think that's right and christian is irish uh, uh is will polter's oh. british yep well yep. that makes sense he's a ginger yeah that's right he was great in bandersnatch the uh black mirror bandersnatch uh i have he's not been everything that. i have seen him in he's been great in and he's, he's one of those yeah quick sidebar question um because i was wondering this because again i couldn't i i wasn't 
what Midsummer does is it makes you not trust your own senses, which I think is great because there are moments in that film where it feels like Christian's eyes sort of get yes. bigger or more yep. almonds and, and they seem to not quite be That's the right. same as, so I was just like, wait, 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 is that happening? Like, what? yeah, because it's quite, it's subtle at first. And then later you're like, Oh, I think, I think this is hallucinatory now. Yeah. There's a point too, where his mouth starts to spread and he almost gets like a Cheshire cat thing going on. Uh. But that was another one of those freaky deaky things. I also love the point too. It's kind of funny where, um, <laughs> where uh, Danny's about to win the dance off <laughs> and and she s- starts thinking that she's speaking Swedish. Yes, yes, that was so great. She's just speaking gibberish. It's like, oh, I can say it now. Yeah. <laughs> we understand each other. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was great. Yeah, of course, Christian's face while copulating in the ritual. We talked about that. Oh, so, so funny and awful. <laughs> Oh, and one moment that like did crack me up, even though it's it's like we're getting down to the nitty gritty of the film in the third act and the ritual. Um, but just the fact that the the elders have sort of like what looks like a powerball or a bingo set up, you know. Yes. With the ball. <laughs> yes. It's just, it, it, yeah. it's it's like the 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 what is it the red ball or the black ball and, and minority report, you know, like it has that same uh, feeling of uh, thing, but ju- just here's a the the bear the bear painting that with a little girl and the bear. What I found I realized oh, yeah. is that um, I have a very similar work of art done by Eric Orchard, which he he had, which is a little girl with a giant bear, um, and this is uh, uh, based on a poem that I wrote. And of course, I read a lot of fairy tale things, so it really does seem. Like uh, I'm, I'm very connected to this movie, both like culturally and mythologically. Definitely. I think, you know, when we finish this episode, we should all go out and play Skin the Fool. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. You know, just how in some cases unlikable or how they're getting like one of the 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 characters thinks that that his idea of doing a graduate thesis mm. is being stolen by another of the characters because I guess they're all yeah. interested in this culture and doing what they're doing at points you know that you know th- these are kind of the the, the rules you know like in screen the movie screen they had so much fun saying like, well you now you don't go to the the kitchen to get a beer because yeah. now you're going to and then they play up don't all say i'll be right back and yeah yeah because the thing is where he says oh can i take photos of this this book and they say no now we all know watching this film that this guy's going to go back later at night and try to take oh, of photos course. of that yeah but they but they kind of know that too and i mean that's the that's the trap and then te- and the temptation um is that they you know they're being told not to transgress, but they're being kind of invited to transgress at the same time. And I love the, you know, when they're having the dinner scene after um, Mark pisses on the, the elder log and uh, he says, you know, that dude, look at, he's like staring at me. Is he going to kill me? It's like, yeah, he's going to yeah. kill you. He's yes, fucking he going to kill you. Yeah. yeah. Again, he knows the truth. 
you know, even yeah. when he doesn't exactly know it. Yeah. And then he's so willing to like sort of what you said, David, like he should know better in a way, right? If he was, yeah. if he was like one of the characters from Scream, he would know better. Yeah. But yeah. he's just yeah. like, oh, she's going <laughs> to, she's going to show me the thing. <laughs> you know, it's like, and as long as he thinks he might be getting pussy, he's going. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. That's right. He's being led down the garden path um, by Little Red Riding Hood in a, in a way that Little Red Riding Hood is the wolf in this, uh, in this scenario. Or Midsummer is a pastoral. It's le déjeuner sur l'herbe. <laughs> oh, I think I just saw your your uh, floral headdress move. Settling flowers of yellow and green towering over your head. Look for the girl with a sun in her eyes. And she's gone! She's gone! She's gone! Oh, one thing I, I was going to say, um, uh, just if we're sort of doing comparisons between Wickerman and Midsummer is um, Troy, I read that article you sent to uh, the Louis Scheuer's article in film magazine. And he mm-hmm. says in that, that uh, uh, Sergeant Howie in Wickerman is thrown off kilter by his search for the missing Rowan, but that in Midsummer, uh, Danny is already in turmoil, but that's, that's one thing I actually kind of disagree with because I think that both characters are clinging to reason by their fingernails. It's just, you don't, see it as much in Howie because he has a better front. Whereas in Danny, you see that she's on the emotional, uh, like the emotional edge, but I think Howie is as well. He's just hiding it better. That's right. And, you know, I wanted to mention there's a scene. I'm trying to remember when this is, I think it's before the dance off before she becomes the May queen, but maybe it isn't. No, I think it must be just after she becomes May queen and people are coming up to her. And we actually see her mother pass by her. Yes, that's right. Or I guess we're seeing through her eyes. She sees her mother pass by her, Um, you know, and that's obviously her feeling like this is home. This is where I want to be. Well, I, I, I just was, I may have to see it a few more times because I just didn't understand the ending. Like, they've got all of the the friends and almost everyone is dead. It's almost like one of those standard horror films or even alien, like, like who is going to be left by the end of it. Right. She's and the last girl. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. She's the final girl. Yeah. Yeah. But I didn't think like, like the idea of her being the May queen and her getting what she wants. I, that all sounds to me like she's going to survive this, but I didn't from watching the film, I didn't think she was like, I thought that she was, whether it's a sacrifice or whatever it was that she's not going to survive this. I thought that too. At first, when I, the first time I saw it, especially when she became May May queen, I thought, Mm -hmm. Oh no, because there is a whole tradition of sacrificing the summer queen or the May queen um uh you know or for the the harvest depending on which time of year it is um so i thought oh shit she's gonna go but in a in a way she is sacrificed her old self is sacrificed yes and she's reborn yeah and you can see i think um pele's overtures towards her are authentic Mm -hmm. and you know it's almost like Bringing her here, which was the most essential thing, is him finding a way to give her home. And, you know, because he spells that out a few times. Like, I think he says, does Christian feel like home? Yes. And no, he clearly doesn't. You feel like you're being held. Held. Yes. Yep. Oh, 
Oh my God. That's yeah. yeah Cause I was almost thinking his character reminds me of one of the characters in the movie taken who actually meets up people. And then they, he ends up deciding that, Oh, this would be a perfect person to kidnap and is sort of a front and pretends to be someone that you might like or get to know. Oh, and then, right. and all that kind of like this guy sounds like he's the wool. He's the person who's gone. And these are his friends. He said, well, maybe my friends could be the sacrifice of my right group that I'm a part of. And maybe that's what this guy does every year or right. so, whatever is he's out there doing this. Yeah. But he's very, but he's quite sincere in his wanting uh, Danny there. Right. Uh, and, and I mean, presumably she stays there because they do, because they are a small community and they even say quite obviously that, you know, they have to uh, uh, breed with outsiders occasionally in order yeah. to, you know, not get too inbred. And this particular um, festival is only once every 90 years too. Yes. So it's, it's not something so it's that, not that somebody sacrifice could... all the time. Yeah. Um, and there was also another point. Well, we also sort of said how, you know, if we're going with the Wizard of Oz and Pele is her wizard. And, in, you know, unlike the original film, um, when he teaches the lesson that there's no place like home, well, this is not you going back from Oz to home. This is like, no, this is your home now. Um, and there is a little bit of dialogue. David, I, I'm, I hope I'm not being redundant here. I think this is the conversation Sandra and I had uh during our, our break earlier um but when um they're driving from the airport um uh Pele says something about uh how the bike oh if somebody says why are the best looking girls here in sweden mm-hmm. and um or why they, why are they also hot is how uh, uh will Poulter's character mark says and Pele says, well, because the Vikings took all the best looking ones and brought them back to Sweden. And, and that's exactly what he's doing with her. Not that she's necessarily the best looking one, but that's what's going on here. Yeah. Yeah. He found the one for him and, uh, and, and, so, and eventually down the road, I guess they'll be the uh, old couple uh, jumping off, um, jumping off the cliff when they're in their seventies, I suppose. Yeah. I was, I was also thinking, um, I thought a little bit about this with Wicker Man as well. Uh, of course, the names where, you know, all the, um, you know, Rowan, mm. Willow, yeah. the tree and plant names. And I mean, Rowan, of course, is a magical tree um, yeah. with, with magical properties. But here, too, it's uh, Meadow. Yeah, yeah, Meadow. If you, if you think about um, the Wizard of Oz thing, if Christian is the cowardly lion, I mean, his name is Christian. So in a way, he's sort of the avatar of you know, I guess a Judeo-Christian faith, you could look at it that way, um, which is kind of in a Wicker Man parallel. But then you have Danny. Throwing Christians to the lions. Yeah, Yeah. Danny, Daniel in the lion's den, which she kind of is. And her last name is Ardor, of course, which is love, love, lust, passion. Um, So I I find that quite kind of, it's, it's like it's his cheeky little, little nod to that. Yeah. Now here's something interesting, like thinking back, to Wicker Man as well. Um, as Lord Summerisle uh, has everybody gathered in the town before they start to do their procession, they're not in costume yet. He um, says something about the God of the sun and he refers to him as Nuarda. And I went through, like I Googled it and I Googled it, did various spellings. I Googled it as new 
Arda. I looked in Fraser's Golden Bough. I could not find anything. So I don't know if they made that up, but I thought it was interesting that her last name is Arda. And, oh, and they're talking about this new Arda. So I don't know if there's a connection. If anybody knows, please let us know. We would love to know. Dream casting. Yeah. Dream casting, baby. As they say on the poster, let the festivities begin. <laughs> Did you want to throw anything out for this, Sandra? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I mean, again, even more than with Booker Man, I, I don't think I would not even dreamcast this. It's, I don't know who else could possibly be in that that would give you exactly the same effect. Um, I would say, like, the most wacky, if we're doing a Schrodinger's cast, um, well, the cast of The Wizard of Oz, of course. Oh, fuck, uh, yes. And, um, or, in fact, throw in the cast of The Wicker Man. I mean, I think that would be kind of hilarious. So Willow is Danny, or is that Howie? Um, no, uh, I would say, yeah, it would have to be Willow. Uh, yeah, Danny is Willow. Um, Christian is Howie. Uh, Lord Summarize, uh, Lord Summerisle is Belle. Um, nice. Yeah. Uh, well, I was fairly new to um, Florence Pugh. I, I I now have seen a lot of her things and um, love everything she's been in. It's going to be great to, you know, live live at least a couple more decades and watch her work. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I loved her in little drummer girl, the series. I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, but I confused her at first for Chloe Grace Mortez. And, and so I thought, well, maybe it could be her or because I now know about the whole, uh, love of Bergman films. I thought Bibby Anderson, who, uh, was Ingmar Bergman's frequent female lead in films like Persona, Wild Strawberries, and The Seventh Seal. Ooh, um, okay. So I figured, you know, you get the whole blonde look going. Um, so I, I'd be happy with either of those as Chloe, as, as Danny, sorry, Chloe Grace Mortez or Bibby Anderson. Christian, uh, I also used to, can, uh, I thought that was Chris Pratt at first. So <laughs> I'm going to go with Chris Pratt <laughs> of Guardians of the Galaxy. And he would give the best, fuck face uh yeah, as oh, well too for sure for sure yeah. um and uh pele uh i thought a young jeff bridges like think uh oh, king kong okay. air or even earlier like thunderbolt and lightfoot but when he has sort of like the dude the big lebowski hair but is a, a younger man um yeah. and also he's got From against he's, all odds era he's yeah. got a very kind face so i thought he'd make a good pele mm-hmm. david did you have anything for dreamcasting uh, well, the only thing I was thinking of, and it may not be the best of uh, the one, is I was looking at 2019 films, and the highest grossing, or the, the probably the best one of the year, was Joker. Mm. And I was almost thinking, can we somehow fit Joaquin Phoenix somehow into this film? But then he would be the one taking out the entire village and he would end up being king at the end of the film so it would be a very different film <laughs> yeah if he, he was might work somehow. better as as lord Summerisle, actually yeah yes yeah yeah so he would be lord Summerisle, but i'm not sure if i can quite work him in um it would be very easy to be able to have the earlier 
um, like uh, the X-Men first class kind of characters um, in, in this, because I was almost thinking of Pele of, of, of Wilhelm Blomgren's as uh, Pele um, that that could be one of the, like, like the entire cast, like there's such a young cast that I was thinking almost that X-Men first class. If you just look at the, the, the characters that appeared in that film mm-hmm. um, and, and try to say, well, almost cast. any of James them. James McAvoy yeah, yeah. and uh, yes. yeah. Yeah. I was thinking of James McAvoy more for, for Pele. Um, and then. Um, Michael Fassbender. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just such a strong, I mean, it's just, and this cast too. So it's just almost interchangeable. You can almost take anyone from, from that and just put them in to um, this one. This one, I can't remember the uh, actress's name in the X-Men. Um, uh, she was in, or was she the one that was in Hunger Games? Um, Jennifer Lawrence? Jennifer Lawrence would be, for me, could be Danny. Because Jennifer oh, yeah. Lawrence, I think, is excellent. Yeah, I thought about her. Yeah, that's yeah. actually a good choice. Um, so Schrodinger's cast, uh, I I wasn't stumped, but I went a certain route, and that is Pelé kept reminding me of somebody, um, the actor uh, Wilhelm Blomgren, um, and I realized who it was, and he looks to me like a very young David Crosby, the the musician. Um, oh. and so I thought, well, if Pele is David Crosby, then I have to go with like other Crosby, Stills, Nash and young people. Uh, <laughs> so I'm so Danny, I thought it would be great. Joni Mitchell, who was a gal pal of all of those guys. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, J- Joni Mitchell would be Danny and Christian would be Steven Stills. Um, and then I thought Joni Mitchell and CSNY soundtrack. Imagine, uh, that laugh Joni does at the end of Big Yellow Taxi as Christian is burning inside of the ah. bear carcass. <laughs> That's my Schrodinger's cast for Midsummer. Oh, you're going to be shocked by my one, because I've just pulled this right out of my butt, <laughs> um, so to speak. But um, I thought Pele could be actually the soccer player Pele. Oh no! Honestly, David. so you have Pele there. So obviously, Christian has got to be Beckham, David Beckham. <laughs> and, and what's your name? Sinclair. Sinclair would be. Uh... Well, well, you could, but I was thinking with Beckham, why not have the actress from Bend It like Beckham, Kira oh. Knightley? Oh, okay, as That's Danny. Good. There you go. I'm trying to combine. This has been, this has been an, <laughs> a, a beautiful exercise in in stream of consciousness. Yeah. Well, I was almost thinking that I was... Have you been um, having the mushroom tea? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm having the bubble tea. Uh, but, yeah. um, Just don't, don't, have the little, don't have the tea that looks pink. Yeah, don't have that because somebody's cubic hair is in their menstrual blood or something. Well, well, my explanations almost sound like I'm on the masked singer and I'm <laughs> uh, the person who says, I know exactly who this person is. Oh, yes. There's this absolutely wonderful poem by Ian Duhigg, called, or Duhigg, or Duhigg, D-U-H-I-G. Um, you can just Google it, um, called The Lamas Hireling, uh, which he won the Poetry Society UK's uh, really big prize for. 
uh, which is like 5,000 pounds. It's amazing. And he won with that poem. And that is very much about um, mid sort of magical doings. And um, and I think you'll see the connection if you, if you watch it. And it has the wonderful phrase, which I didn't know what that meant, of course, uh, to go into the hair, which means witchcraft, because of course, witches turn themselves into hairs. Um, and of course, you have hairs showing up in uh, Wicker Man. There's, you know, the theme of the hair. Uh, and I thought that uh, people would enjoy reading that poem. So go do go check that out. The Lammas Hireling by Ian Duhigg. And as a quick sort of uh, tie into everything uh, folk horror, I was just wondering, Sandra, do you have any uh, others you just want to mention? Folk horror films that you love that uh, yeah, yeah, you actually, point out to people? Um, if you if you liked Midsummer and Wicker Man, um, I would highly recommend uh, Apostle with Dan Stevens uh, of uh, Downton Abbey fame and also of The Stranger and a whole bunch of and Legion, a bunch of other things. And I think that is on Netflix or on Prime right now, or at least it was. Um, and that's also a guy going to an island with a fucked up cult looking for his missing sister. So yeah, he's got lots of horrible violent things so basically don't go to an island i think this is yeah. thing. do not go to an island um, uh, avoid cults you know um and the other movie i would recommend if you can find it uh it's an estonian film from 1968 called Libahund, which mm-hmm. means werewolf um, oh. and based mm-hmm. on a on a play by august gitzberg uh and it's again has the a lot of wonderful folk mythology like uh you know if you jump over the midsummer bonfire without getting singed, it means you're a werewolf. Yeah. Telling you. And remember, as Lord Summer Isle says, don't wear clothes. You know, when you're jumping over fire, that's just dangerous. <laughs> right. Uh, I have, I have a, <laughs> three, three quickies. Uh, I have, uh, it, you know, it's not a great film, but I still love it. Children of the corn, the original. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Made for something like, eight hundred thousand dollars and it grossed 14 million so there's Ooh. no there's no surprise that they made nine dreadful sequels or spin-offs uh, or whatever i have never seen any of the sequels i've only ever seen yeah. the original. uh ritual and we still is, have to do our corn episode at some point. that's right yeah. uh ritual which is on uh netflix it's a netflix original that's uh i like the film the book is even better great and um one of those three um that was mentioned as being, you know, one of the best British horror films of that era, Blood on Satan's Claw. I watched it a couple of times uh, since sort of, you know, being tipped off on it. It's really good. I have never seen that. I will have to watch that. And it is on, I believe, Tubi. It's it's on some okay. free streaming thing. That's why I've watched it twice. I think it was on Tubi. Are we putting this one to bed? I guess the garden bed, David? Yeah, I think yes. so. Um, that's our folk horror part two, the midsummer episode. Thanks to our special guest, Sandra Kasturi. Thanks a lot, Sandra, for being our guest. Thank you so much for having me again. It's always a great time talking to you guys. Remember to catch us on all our socials. Uh, your favorite podcast provider will get you here, hopefully. Uh, our website is 2of.ca. That's numeric2. Uh, on Twitter, we're at 2numeric2, two, two old farts sci-fi. Facebook, we're 2 old farts talk sci-fi. Please tell a friend. Please like and subscribe. I am David Klink. And I'm Troy Harkin. See you all for our next episode of Two Old Farts. Talk sci-fi.
there is something, I don't know if you have already got a plan on what you might be using as your um, opening clip, but um, any comments on it? Uh, well, it's about a bear and it's about a cage and it's about a bear in a cage. Troy, you like the whole thing as one big unit, so to speak. Sorry, that came out of my mouth. <laughs>